it's not brain science it's rocket surgery this is the cosmic man (laughs) the incomparable number 395 february 2018 Welcome back to The Incomparable's endless trek through terrible slash questionable movies from various eras. We're in the 1950s for this film starring, yes, the patron saint of rocket surgery himself, John Carradine, (laughs) as the Cosmic Man in The Cosmic Man from 1959. Terrors of the Red Planet. And joining me to talk about horrors of the Earth planet uh, are these fine people. Gene McDonald. Hello. Hi, Jason. Thank you so much for having me on my inaugural voyage of rocket surgery. Don't don't thank. Me. Well, I mean, you've seen the movie now, so uh, and you're yes. still thanking me. So that's very nice of you to say. That's very kind. <laughs> what a, what a, what a movie to debut on, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monty Ashley, hello, Cosmic Man. I was watching Vince McMahon. Oh, what a mix up. Uh, Steve Lutz, hello, <laughs> hello. While cruising through the ionosphere, I saw this cosmic man. <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere I went up there, he was shaking his cosmic can. Yeah, woo! Philip Michaels is also here. Hi. You know, say what you will about Cosmic Man, it is really one of Elton John's best works, and I will <laughs> brook no horrible talk about it. I knew I recognized those glasses. The scene where John Carradine says that Mars ain't no place to raise your kids, mm. heartbreaking. Horrors of the Red Planet. But when I sat down to watch this, I did say to myself, I think it's going to be a long, long time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so this, uh, for people who are science fiction fans, you may be able to, uh, you may be excited by the fact that the screenplay for this film was written by visionary science fiction writer Arthur C. Cl- N- Wait, Arthur Pierce? C. Pierce? Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know who he is. <laughs> He's part of the ABPs of science fiction. <laughs> oh, well. That was a nice try. So, Cosmic Man is a, uh, a film about... <laughs> I, I don't even know where it, I'm it's going. It's a film here. about 72 minutes long, Jason. <laughs> <Indeed>. this, <laughs> this movie is of the genre stiff white guys staring at things. Mm. <laughs> That's right. There there is a moment where um where I I note that every character is a is just a white guy and then the lady drives up with her kid at that at that very moment and I thought aha here comes a complication D- diversity yeah that's right there's a white lady with her kid someone to scream yeah and she does Seriously. and she does she's good at it all right so uh the cosmic man begins with a radar screen on which is a dot. There is a bogey. It has been all around the globe. Uh, now, J- Jason, that's not how it starts. All right. Tell me how it starts, Monty. It starts by seeing planets and then slowly zooming into a number of different still photos over yes. and over again. And rotating as it does so, as the, though we are tumbling headlong well, into that's, the pictures. that's the, the landing of the Cosmic Man or well, something. I don't think it is, though, because it does not land at the final still photo, which is the military base that we're visiting. So. It's well, just a very wide establishing shot yeah, that's of true. the universe. <laughs> it's the Cosmic Man taking a tour of places seeing the sights he's got a few days to kill they do say the bogey's been all over the globe before it 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 ends up landing in the uh in the 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 canyon in oak ridge which is where this film is is set i've seen ufos before colonel but never one like this announces the sergeant (laughs) no you you, you said that uh very much more excitedly than the sergeant (laughs) says that in the movie i believe his reading of that line is i've seen ufos before but never like this one yeah. Well, see, I haven't seen UFOs, so I'm more excited about this than that guy who's seen many, many UFOs. <laughs> so jaded about the UFOs at this point in his career. Yeah. That was a fast one. <laughs> Even this one that's moving 180,000 miles mm. per hour, which the colonel or the general admits would cause it to vaporize in the atmosphere, doesn't really thrill him. That's why it must be a trick of the light. There is, in this film throughout, uh, a a recurring thing that I I noticed, which is the most amazing things in human history happen in front of the people, and it's like they're waiting to cross the street. They're, like, (laughs) completely unfazed (laughs) by the idea that somebody from another planet is among them, and they're like, I'm going to go get a sandwich. I think it's likely that they're all on different sets. (laughs) <laughs> this is an early example of the Lucas prequels style I of filming. 
There's an oversized ping pong ball suspended in midair that we can't move. Ah, this is going to make a hell of a letter to Reader's Digest. <laughs> well, I'll go get a bulldozer. That'll fix everything. Mm-hmm. No, that yeah. won't do it either. Now, uh, we don't get to see the ping pong just yet because ping pong ball, because first, what we have to do is call in the experts. And the experts yes. are at Fictional University Pacific Tech, which excited me a lot because that's also the fictional university in real genius. Yes. The Pacific Institute of Technology, mm-hmm. home of the Fighting Santard Rings, yeah. I believe. Is <laughs> That's the, right. Fight, fight, fight for Pacific Tech. We'll take the ball and we'll give you heck. We'll kick Uranus if you try to paint us. We're Pacific Tech. Go Tech! Is that through a megaphone? Yes. Good. I will say this for the Pacific Institute of Technology. Their Hall of Science is very impressive. It looks an awful lot like Griffith Observatory. Yes. <laughs> do you think they had permission to film there or that they just sort of showed up and come quick, quick, do the scene? Well, they were allowed to staple up that cardboard Hall of Science sign <laughs> onto the front of the building. <laughs> I don't. Maybe they ran quickly after that scene was filmed. Yeah. But. I think science has proven that cardboard is the most resilient of all the sign <laughs> materials. I, I definitely had this moment of thinking: What was Griffith Park built by the city of Los Angeles as part of their like uh, program to encourage movie making in the <laughs> location? Because there's pretty much no no science fiction movie without it. Uh, Pacific Tech is consulted with. They find an object. This is the, now this is a movie that came out a year after Sputnik. So uh, the space mm-hmm. race <laughs> a, is at its height. Oh, it's on. And and they're trying to imagine that uh, you know America is trying to get every foothold in space that it can. It, it it wonders if it might be one of our satellites, which is interesting because there weren't very many, if any, American satellites at this point because the U.S. was a little bit behind uh, r- the Russians with Sputnik. But they call in Carl Sorensen at Pacific Tech. Carl Sorensen, the famous physicist, <laughs> mm-hmm. guy that was responsible for the atom bomb, personally responsible for the atom bomb. <laughs> yeah, that that is Phil. I mean, it comes a little bit later because it's the kid who does. It, but that is that is a great baseball card moment where he's like Carl Sorensen, the astrophysicist. I've, I've read, read some books. of your books. You magnificent! I don't think bastard. I understand them all. Yeah, but yeah. first we have to see every second of his forty-minute drive to the site. Yeah, <laughs> that is that that is your staple of quality bad bad movie making is when the director does not trust that we can understand the compression of time through editing. <laughs> but they won't know how people get up the mountain. If you briefly feel like you've slipped into the opening of Manos, the hands of fate then it's probably not going to be a very good movie. but he's got a sweet he's got that sweet card that's got a sticker on the door yes. that says pacific tech department <laughs> of astrophysics department. because if you're in the astrophysics department you need the company car to go from <laughs> astrophysics location to astrophysics location clearly make way astrophysicist coming through He's got that. Yeah. Most of the army guys don't wear their uniforms. So I think in this world, the university is better at branding than the military is. Well, yeah. J- Jason, as you know, at Cal Berkeley, the Nobel Prize winners get uh, their own parking space. At Pacific Tech, you get a car. Yeah. <laughs> it's owned by the university and labeled on it. So, you know, yes, exactly. It's a little like driving a clown car, but it is a car you get. So. You also get a car if you win a Nobel Prize while working for Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's good. Um, So there is a floating ping pong ball in the canyon. Now, am I alone in thinking that the floating ping pong ball actually looks a little bit cool in the establishing shots? Until you figure out how it's done, it's great. And then you have another hour of staring at it. I mean, I was afraid maybe it was just the sweet theremin music that accompanies our, our introduction to it, but it's, uh, yeah. I think it's actually kind of nifty looking from, from a distance. Although in some shots, it looks like it's hovering, and those are the shots that we're uh-huh. looking at a model. And in others, it's clearly just sitting in the dirt. Yep. Yeah, well, I actually, in my notes, I wrote floating ping pong ball, or originally I wrote floating cue ball, and then I was like, eh, more of a ping pong ball. And yeah. then I deleted it, because in the next shot, it's just laying on the ground. And then in the next shot, it's floating again. And I thought, okay, they mean it to be floating it just sometimes yeah. is clearly not actually floating well there's only one scene where the, there's that there's actually a close-up on it and it's clearly floating and that's the one in which the colonel very very laboriously runs his hand underneath uh-huh. it in the classic the woman is floating i'm going to put the hula hoop over her style before he joined the uh, military he was a magician's assistant in vegas <laughs> i think it's a cool little moment of like this is so alien that it doesn't look like a ship it's just this weird thing I th- there are a few touches in here that i thought i see what the what the writer and the director are going for and trying to uh do something that you know that other more capable writers and directors would do in the future because it is a, a an unearthly weird thing like it's not a flying saucer it's a ping pong ball 
and it's hovering <laughs> eerily. Like, it's weird. I, I, I appreciate that about it. All right. So one of the things that I thought was interesting, because it gave gave rise to this dialogue of like, well, nobody could have come in that. It doesn't have windows. It doesn't have a door. <laughs> I was like, wow, you know, just setting up that the military guy, the colonel, has no imagination, right. you know, beyond like what whether they would be like us just from another star and dr Sorensen, of course says like well if they are like us but even Sorensen is is credulous at first there's way too much credulity at the beginning here where there's like well certainly nobody could be alive in there and and Sorensen's like no definitely not <laughs> well, like, Sorensen really? also does a lot of something just, like that yeah. which indicates that he knows nothing about what's going on like the 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 colonel asks metal about the composition of the ball and he says something like that more like glass well, which is it? <laughs> there is nothing like glass. The dialogue is trying to make them be kind of a mismatched pair, have to work together thing, but they're yeah. the same guy. Like, exactly. <laughs> yep. Yep. I do like the um, instant uh, theorizing that also happens where he's like, it's something like gravity, but in reverse, a sort of anti gravity. Did you just yeah. invent anti gravity? You think that you're the first. Never mind, Sorensen, you're, you're a genius. Children know him by name, Jason. <laughs> yeah, I think right. that, that right. suggests a, a, la- uh, a level of uh, skill in his profession. <laughs> this is the story where he invents anti gravity. I, I get right. it. And the colonel's only reaction to that is we have to take it apart so then we can learn anti-gravity so then we can win the space race. Now he can use it as a weapon. That's his first thought. That's military guys for you in a 1959 sci-fi movie. Well, but we learn pretty soon Carl Sorensen holds the rank of major general in the reserves. He does. Yes. Probably could have been told that earlier when if it's a military operation. But uh, clearly one of the things that is that this movie is trying to do and trying to say is about this conflict between the quest for scientific knowledge and scientists working for the military and the atom bomb p- program and and like it it's doing it in a really ham-fisted way but it does it is trying to get across that where the the lieutenant is really like gung-ho about we're gonna use this as a weapon and uh and dr Sorensen, of course is is very much against that and they argue and that's at the point when our friend kathy a lady and her kid just oh, drive up Kathy. to the scene of an alien landing. Just She just drives that, in. That, that the military have uh, sight cordoned everyone off. In. You see, it's a small town. There's a party line. Yeah, it's going around. Yeah, on a party line. I must have picked it up there. Like, there's serious breaches of uh, security in this, <laughs> yeah. in this yeah. ravine Although she's here. the only one to pull up to the, the crash site. Yeah. So. We didn't have a lot of money left to cast people after the ping pong ball special effect. <laughs> Is the <laughs> army on a party line? Is it like yeah. the general picks up and Mabel is also listening? If you live near the base, you can just pick up and see what the everybody is talking about there. But but Kathy like owns the I get, the impression the I get lodge. is that it's it's yeah it's like in the winter it's a ski lodge, but it's the summer and nobody's around. But she she and her son are there, and that's where they are gonna the army men are gonna hang out when they're waiting for the ping pong ball to hatch or something yes. i don't even know quite what they're waiting for but kathy, waiting for the scientists there's, to come. there's there's really no no way to sugarcoat this kathy uh is uh she's she's a little on the horny side <laughs> she's obviously pretty happy to consider herself in the hands of the military as the colonel <laughs> suggests <laughs> she offers up her lodge to the colonel and then carl Sorensen introduces himself and she eyes him up and down too she says, are you gonna stay at the lodge too carl I think she just wants tenants. Like, she's willing to let literally any super creepy weirdo off the street <laughs> that's into the lodge. True. That's <laughs> true. I, I don't think true. she sees it as an imposition, though. I think she sees it as an opportunity. We've skipped over my favorite, uh, second favorite character in the movie after uh, Bored, uh, Bored Sergeant, and that would be uh, World's <laughs> Most Chill Park Ranger. Oh, Ranger Bell. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I guess the folks down in Oak Ridge would get pretty panicky if they knew there was a strange object up here. <laughs> Not me, though. I'm high on peyote. Not me, so I'll hide this from them. I'll do whatever you say, General. See, I'm a comedy corporal man. Oh, yeah. Comedy corporal is quite good. They are very chill about this whole thing. And as you say, like, they're thinking, yeah, we'll go spend a night at the lodge, hang out, you know, chill out tonight, and then we'll figure things out tomorrow. Yeah. When a alien uh, vessel of some sort 
ping pong ball is right there in your backyard. Yeah, and they're, okay. they're just looking at this as an opportunity for a camping trip. We'll play some board games. We'll drink some cocoa. We'll uh, we'll tell stories around the campfire. There, there are shots where it's like four guys in hats, two on each side of the ping pong ball, <laughs> with like clipboards <laughs> writing things down. Like, And this is what I was saying earlier, which is it is a floating thing from outer space, and they could be... They could not be less excited about it. Like, it is a huge imposition. The cosmic for radiation? What do you want from me? They've seen a lot of UFOs, just like that guy at the (laughs) the base. And uh, this is just another one, although they've never seen one quite like this, but still, it's it's just a UFO. It's like the eighth this week. So, Kathy's son, though, who's in the car, as we said earlier, recognizes Carl Sorensen. He knows the name. He's read some of his books. He's like a baseball (laughs) star to him. Has his rookie card. Yep, he does, from from Pacific Tech. I think he went to Pacific Tech, or... I guess that would be your college years. Yeah. Something like that. Logically. Or maybe it was when I he mean, was uh, just an adjunct professor. He gets the adjunct <laughs> professor card. Kenny excitedly announces to the colonel that his father was a jet pilot in the war and also a football star. And the way that his mom responds uh, to this yes. announcement suggests that Ken's father was actually an alcoholic drifter <laughs> oh, yeah. who wandered through town. Because <laughs> she gets the look on her face like, oh no, the lie I told little Kenny Ken is coming mommy out. tells you a lot of things about your dad, which <laughs> won't stand up to rigorous fact-checking. He was also an elephant trainer. (laughs) (laughs) But then he had to go back to his home planet, and that's why I don't have a daddy. There is one important plot point, though. Um, yes, uh, that, that we that we and since there is are there? so few I can't plot points I in this movie, plot we, point. Yes, this is ahead. the plot point. I think uh, the the Ken, Ken as as the general finds out or the colonel finds out when he does the. So, do you want to be a football star? And then gets a a load of the wheelchair in the, An the back of the car. Awkward moment goes, gets more awkward. Ew! I guess you don't. <laughs> Yeah, because he's sitting in the car, and it turns out that the, that he is a the There's kid's a in the wheelchair. In the back. Yeah. yeah, that's true. This will become incredibly important. Yes, at a later time. Yeah. Don't think about it too hard, though. You wouldn't want to spoil the ending. For Carl yourself. goes back to his lab at Pacific Tech to consult about what he's seen in the canyon again. Why would you want to be around the alien spaceship when you can go back to your lab and get a cup of coffee and talk to your buddies? Um, however, one thing very exciting for me in the lab was uh, some Star Trek sound effects. There are some sound effects in the lab oh, nice. that are reused on the bridge of the Enterprise. So that was really exciting to me. I liked seeing a Jacob's ladder, which looks cool and has no scientific application, nope. but is in every uh, good movie laboratory yeah i was wondering about that this is probably the same one from all the other movie laboratories <laughs> yep yeah this we get to meet uh, carl's b-lab coded assistant rich who knows literally nothing about <laughs> anything <laughs> nope and needs everything explained no. to him so one of the things i thought about carl um and it's not just because of the black and white like period piece that it is but i thought he really does have a similar delivery to perry mason of I'm the guy who will think about things and not get all exercised. And then when Rich showed up, I'm like, oh, my God, he's he's Perry Mason's sidekick. He's Paul, you know. So, you know, the guy who's a little younger, a little cooler, um, but not as smart. And and what three or four members of this of this movie's cast appeared at some point in a Perry Mason episode. So it's not that it's not that far off. He's uh, Paul or uh, uh, yeah, Carl is like Perry Mason, except with a little bit of a droopy mixed in because he talks <laughs> kind of like this the whole time. Yeah, I love science. <laughs> uh, but he does at one point say the, the line I wrote down that was uh, his political statement was think how much more we could learn without all these international barriers. So he's mm-hmm. his mind's already out there in outer space. Base, quite frankly that's actually clueless rich that says that oh is that is that rich all right yeah but they're two peas in a pod but they're, yeah no, they're this is science versus the military this is our right. back meanwhile back in the science lab the science guys just want to learn stuff and they don't want to blow things up because they did that in the war and now they're really they, they don't want to do well, that anymore that's actually a switch on the usual thing normally it's the scientists who don't care what the costs are and the military. Yeah, I, I thought this was really like the dark funhouse mirror version of the thing, because in that movie, the scientists are all the, no, we must be destroyed to study more about this creature. And the military, uh, no, let's let's actually save ourselves. Whereas in he- here, the, the military are all idiots and the, the scientists rule the day. And also the big difference is that the thing is great and Cosmic Man sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should have set John Carradine in fire and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> so we learn here that uh, that Clueless Rich, unsurprisingly, has failed to make the solar motor that he was asked to work on right. work. Right. He can't get yeah. it to work. There's just he, there's no. something wrong in the plans. Can't he figure just it can't out. Go, 
I, that's a but shame. that's now secondary priority to the golf yeah. ball. Yeah, secondary priority. But we do learn some interesting things about how uh, the golf ball floats by deflecting the invisible rays that cause gravity. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a little like graviton, anti-graviton kind of thing. They're basically yeah. inventing anti-gravity just by looking at this thing. They don't explain why anti-gravity only works up to about four feet, though. Well, I mean, sh- shouldn't it just fly away if it's anti? Well, they're still working on it. I'm sure they would get there. <laughs> yeah, it still needs to be peer reviewed, my man. Meanwhile, by the way, back at the canyon. Oh yeah, this is my favorite character. We're about to meet. A, here. a guard with glasses is yeah. sure he saw something. Whom I call Corporal Goofball, who was left in charge of the ping pong ball overnight. Uh huh. They actually they actually tell him no goofing off, and I don't know what you're expecting from Corporal Goofball, but good luck with that because this guy he's the Rick Moranis of 1959. Yeah, very much so. He's got a helmet. Mm-hmm. He does. Unlike everybody else who has a hat, he's got a helmet. He's got like a white undershirt. And he barely he he like doesn't fit right into his into his uniform jacket. He he's sort of like got the got the like uh, Gumby shoulders, and he is a, just a mess. <laughs> he's a right. disaster. I, th- I thought it was Jerry Lewis's most understated character. Kaido <laughs> <laughs> uh, with the the alien with the going and the hi hi. <laughs> And then Im- immediately upon being told not to goof off and, and being calmed down and, and uh, advised to, to exercise caution, he turns around, walks in the other direction, and completely misses the shining ray beam that comes out of the ping pong ball. That's right. Like within seconds. He's not doing Corporal his job. Corporal Goofball, everybody. Yep. Thanks for dropping by this little film. You made my life briefly <laughs> somewhat less boring. At least he was trying. And so then up at the up at the lodge, we get this kind of like... Uh, this is the part that's got a little bit of a horror movie, and it's like I heard something. I thought I heard somebody walking. Uh, I thought mm-hmm. I heard something, but I, I don't see anything. And uh, and we, that's left for a little while. But we saw the the ray emerge from the the ball, so we know something is going on here. Yeah. Meanwhile, yes, the colonel is talking up Kathy inside yeah. the lodge. <laughs> at, yeah, at the, at the bar in the lodge, he takes his you... duty seriously, <laughs> and his duty involves doing shots and putting the moves on Lil Kenny's mom. <laughs> He is yes. he is stormy Normandy Beach, if you get what I mean. <laughs> right. <laughs> Meanwhile, the alien spaceship is just sitting there. Well, they're at least somewhere in the vicinity of the alien spaceship. They haven't driven off to Griffith Observatory to hang out. So, and that's where uh, Kathy tells the colonel that Kenny Ken is not only, um, you know, in a wheelchair. He's actually oh, yeah. ter- terminally ill. Yes. Yeah. He's gonna die. He's gonna die. Six months to a year. The doctors don't really know, and he doesn't know. He's dying of something. It's really unclear about all of this, but yeah, there's the world's gentlest diatribe against science right here from Kathy too. Why can't they Mm -hmm. figure it out? They should know all these things we know, and we can't even figure out whether my kid's going to die in six months or a year. Yep. But let's have another drink and dance for a little bit. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fine (laughs) until there's noises. There are noises and. A shadowy figure appears, leading her to scream like she's in a horror movie. But when the when the men rush into the room to see what's going on, there's nothing there. Oh my gosh. I've never seen that happen before. It's scary. She shouts out that it's horrible, horrible. It's, it didn't seem horrible. Like it was guy. just like a shadow. Right. It's a shadow in a cape. Yeah. And then they was. take her concerns very seriously and don't dismiss her. <laughs> there is one moment that's good in that whole sort of semi-horror sequence, and that's that... Uh, when the major pulls up in his Jeep and it becomes evident that something has hitched a ride in his Jeep, there's mm-hmm. actually a moment where the back corner of his Jeep actually jostles a little bit, like somebody's mm-hmm. pushing down on it, but there's nobody there. Obviously, there's somebody in the back pulling on the bumper or something, but it's actually an effective moment, which really sticks out of this movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. I, I thought that this whole segment was interesting because it doesn't read like the rest of the movie to me. Like this is the yeah. like suddenly they're just pulling out all the ho- horror movie things, right? Which the rest of the movie does not have. It is this little block of scenes that are all around here where it happens. Right in the middle of that, there's this weird little co- uh, comic relief sequence where the senior airman walks out and he's giving his superior a surprising amount of guff about hearing somebody walking around the building. Hey, what's the matter with you? What are you doing out here? Like, I outrank you, you turd. And then he <laughs> hears something and apparently doesn't do anything about it. And now he walks back in and says, it was never like this on the islands, whatever that means. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Clearly longing for the peaceful days of the Pacific Theater. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> with Japanese zeros coming in to buzz you and bomb you. and None of this cosmic man crap. My best friend got right. bayoneted to death in front of me, but... 
No, no noises. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I marched in baton, but at least there were no shadowy figures there. <laughs> so, um, meanwhile, in the town of Oak Ridge, we get a great, a very exciting montage. A dog barks. Yes. <laughs> a shadow man passes by a girl in her underwear. Yes. Who is putting a jacket on. This is why I traveled across the nine galaxies. <laughs> the police are alerted. Various items in the lab at Pacific Tech are turned on by the shadow men. He really likes that uh, sound effect from Star Trek. He, he wanted to hear it, too. So he, nice. he turns on all those things. And the blueprint of the thing that uh, the Dr. Sorensen's... The solar motor. Pal, the solar motor, couldn't get yeah. right. He updates it and draws a bunch it. of things on it yeah. to get it to work work right just yeah he's a regular goodwill hunting Mm -hmm. (laughs) solving the math problem you you totally expected that when you saw him working on that problem oh yeah it was was like oh yeah the cosmic man is gonna know the answer to that yeah but i can just imagine the cosmic man saying you idiot (laughs) how could you not figure this out this is basic science you moron (laughs) you forgot to carry the three (laughs) just one line here and fix god You're so you close. Little squigglies go on this one. And Am I the only one who knows how to work an Excel spreadsheet? Rich, <laughs> see me, cosmic man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm greatly amused by that scene where he walks by the, the house with the two co-eds in it. And the one of them is walking by and she's in her slip. And it's off of her shoulder, and it's like, I can just see the filmmaker going, how much of this can we get away with? Because she's she's got the off-the-shoulder look, she's fairly scantily clad, but she puts on, like, this giant coat. It's like, no, that's that's as much as we can do. She needs to put on a coat after this. And then she turns around and screams, but it's it's weird. It is, and the, the, the shadow in this scene, the shadow, it's, it's, it's kind of like a skeleton, sort of. I mean, I think of it, like, Photoshop-wise, like it's a layer with a layer effect on. Mm, so, yeah. it, like... It, it multiply or something like that, which you can see it, but it, yeah, yeah it's it kind of like a shadow or something. I don't know. Maybe that's just John Carradine's profile. Maybe he's just very skeletal <laughs> in profile. It's, 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 it's entirely possible. That's why he never let pe- anyone shoot him from that side of his face before. Mm, interesting. <laughs> so, uh, everybody in is upset. Uh, all the radiation research has been wiped. Materials have been emptied. Of course, the photon chamber thing was edited. Um, and I believe that lead leads them to say, who, who or what made these changes seem to know what he was doing, which I wrote down because they're not willing to commit to whether it was a who who did this, mm-hmm. who or what. But they are willing to commit that it's a he. I thought right. that was great. Who <laughs> <laughs> or what it is, he knew what he was doing. I'm like, all right. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's science, man. It's like, science. Look, at, look at all the scientists around here. You see any non-he's? I don't think so. Not at Pacific Tech. <laughs> no. Well, this is all this is all uh, rich informing Carl of things. While Carl feverishly works his slide rule, no one has yes. ever worked a slide rule as intensely as Carl does in this scene. I, I think in in the history of movies, the slide rule has never been so uh, important. Well, that's that's why Carl is recognized by kids. He's like Joe DiMaggio, who's out there and plays <laughs> hard no matter what for all for all the kids who are seeing them for the first time. You do see Kenny later in raptly examining the slide rule when he's sitting by the table with them. So maybe that is a thing in this weird well, Before there were computers, you had to deal with a slide rule. That's just what you had oh, to deal you with. Uh, there's a mob at the sheriff's office. People are very upset because apparently the shadows were seen outside girls' bedrooms and dogs were barking and people are upset. Um, they they uh, wonder if there could be truly a visitor from space, which at this point, Carl uh, Sorensen decides he's all in. He's like, yep. Probably. And this is where we dub dub uh, dub him the Cosmic Man. Uh, and right. it, the Cosmic Man yeah. is described as being like the reverse of everything we know, like <laughs> pictures on an x-ray, to which I thought, okay, uh, sure. Well, it's like x-ray <laughs> pictures of things we can't see. Of things we can't Only see. Only these are unknown rays. Uh-huh. So not mm-hmm. only is it like things we can't see, but unknown rays are illuminating yeah. them too. So it's like doubly mystic. Because if it was something we knew then we would know it, but it's the reverse of that, which means we don't know it. That's yes. who the cosmic man is. He's a creature made of matter, and yet antimatter. Antimatter. He's a complicated man, but <laughs> no one understands him but his woman. Cosmic man. They figure all these things out from the 
indistinct blip that represents the cosmic man on the dot in a circle vision that they're yep. watching him on yes. in their lab. It's like a in radar radar thing in the lab that they've left on to try and see where, where, where... And again, they're awfully casual about the fact that an alien has made contact and is walking around their building. And Sorens yes. is like, yeah, you know, maybe antimatter, whatever. And they chat about it for about 10 minutes and then they're shocked when, he's, when he leaves before they have a chance to go and check him out. Well, it's funny that the moment he goes to like go see him, he disappears like maybe he knows something maybe he does meanwhile back at the lodge because <laughs> well, they've been called they, they have been called out at this point by the colonel uh yes. to to tell them that he's going to get the sphere out of the canyon at this point uh yes. with a bulldozer and, and he hangs up on Sorensen in a huff and and Sorensen does that awesome thing where he looks at the phone in disbelief after he's hung up on like he doesn't really understand how phones work or or what's what's happening with the hang up yeah, so they they um so they're all going to go down in the canyon. They're going to try to move this. Sorensen even talks to Kathy, um, and they're like, oh, you know, they're going down there, and he takes off, and then John Carradine appears in a yes. trench coat with his with his uh, collar up and big glasses and a hat, and he's very obviously <laughs> the Cosmic Man because everything he says is. And I I actually I really loved his dialogue where you know you you ask him a question like he's a normal human and he answers in a completely ridiculous way because he's not a human. I desire lodging in this place. Yes. <laughs> My vehicle is parked beyond. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not convinced that was physically John Carradine because he is dressed like the Invisible Man crossed with the Babadook. <laughs> crossed with George Smiley from Tinker Tailor's Soldier Spy. He's wearing an enormous coat and a hat and he's had this really lumbering walk and the whole thing just suggests to me that he's actually two very short mm-hmm. John Carradine stacked on top of each other. <laughs> it's David Carradine and John Carradine and they're, they're sitting on each other's shoulders. Oh, you're not allowed to get into Grant's Lodge yeah. if you're under you know, 21. Yeah. So. <laughs> I heard that this is the place where the lady gives you uh, shots and... Uh, yeah. Looks you up and down. And those clothes are supposed to be Sorensen's, I think. Right, and, the, and he's got the bag that Sorensen's. So he obviously, oh, when he was yes. at Sorensen's place, he took a bunch of Sorensen's stuff so that he could... And again, it's unclear why he's doing this, but the Cosmic Man is now like appearing as a human yeah. because he wants to hang out at the lodge and get some shut-eye in the back. Apparently. Well, Sorensen then apparently has a really bad astigmatism or something because those glasses he's got on are a mess. Yeah, I don't know what the story is. I wondered is with about that. those glasses. Like they almost looked like they had eyes pasted on the front of yeah. them. Yeah, they look like those novelty hologram glasses yeah. that you can get. My, my favorite part of his interaction with Kathy, the the cosmic man, um, is when he just says to her, "Apropos of nothing, you have a child that does not walk." <laughs> it seems very forward. Yeah, real tactful. I've only stayed at an Airbnb once, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's really cool to bring up. It's all part of his disguise as a scientist he's showing the average tact of your scientific community and, yeah. and, and if he's trying to not call attention to himself and the funny thing is of course that kathy thinks nothing of this and right uh and, and until later where she's like oh he said that he w- knew you like the fact that that he says i would like complete privacy and she says well i've got this key to the room in the back i'll show you where it is i can find it you know like okay <laughs> yeah. there's no need don't bother. The next time you see him, he's in your little boy's room playing chess with him. <laughs> yeah, right. we'll get there. Well, that is, well, the, it is yeah. notable. It is notable that he's scene. strange looking enough that Kathy doesn't even try to hit on him. <laughs> <laughs> One thing from that previous uh, scene, though, with Kathy and Sorensen, like where, where she, you know, she is flirting with him and, and, and likewise, so is Sorensen. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he says, seems like everyone these days is afraid of scientists. Yeah, seems know, to be a common problem today. <laughs> right. It was very chilling, actually, to hear that in this movie, where I was not expected to be at all touched. Yeah, well, I mean, the the, the thing that seriously hangs over this movie, was obviously on the, the writer's mind, is this idea of scientists that were used to create the atomic bomb, and that the like, scientists feel, and this is a real thing, like, the... The, the holding that over themselves, the, you know, mm-hmm. I've become death, you know, destroyer of worlds kind of thing after the atom bomb. And and Sorensen is written that way, like he has regrets. Mm-hmm. And that's the source of his conflict with the uh, with the uh, the military people. 
He's written that way, but I can't emphasize enough how little he's played that way. (laughs) Fair. Fair. Yeah. He doesn't seem very dark. No, he's like, well, this is the, that's the, the the astrophysicist. That's, he's played like that. Like he's a famous (laughs) scientist, rock star guy. Yeah. Yeah. Kenny's not afraid of scientists. Mm -mm. No. Okay, so John Carradine is is now napping in the back room as the cosmic man. <laughs> Meanwhile, down down in the canyon, a we get a lot. They rented this heavy tr- these trucks and and bulldozers, and they are going to put them on screen. Damn it! For the they got it for the whole day. They're going to use it. It is actually, I think, a really funny scene and kind of effective. Where they've yes. got like a harness on the on the ping pong ball. The wheels on this huge tractor are spinning, and it's not going anywhere. Like it is, and there's a really good effect here too. The little net that they've got wrapped around the thing is actually clearly being pulled to the side, fairly mm-hmm. substantially by this truck that they've got, and the golf ball's not moving. Yeah, yeah. They do a great job of establishing that this is a floating immobile ping pong ball. <laughs> My only problem is that I don't know that a floating immobile ping pong ball is in itself enough for a movie. <laughs> Well, that's all you're getting, so you better learn to love it. Uh, Also a floating, immobile John Carradine. The the director of the movie, uh, it will shock you to learn he has two directing credits to his name, and this is one of them. (laughs) It does shock me that there was a second one. But he um, uh, has a rather extensive uh, um, CV as a second unit director. And uh, to me, that that suggests that he always had to think of this stuff, like showing the the net stretching and and making the seat pop up and down to, to... uh, imply that there was an invisible cosmic man there. So it, it, obviously his background trained him well to think of the, the little things and not so much about the bigger picture of yes. telling a compelling story that's coherent. The uh, the scientists discovered that it's, first off, it's kind of it's kind of like a solar panel. Like, though, the, the sun comes down and it's generating an electromagnetic right. field. But it's also a sound panel. Yes, it can create oh. sonic radiation, which leads to the scene where they where they get blasted back by like the sound wave of it. So there's like weird physics going on at the ping pong ball. That scene mm-hmm. was extremely unpleasant. <laughs> it's just so loud and discordant. I did not care for that scene at all. But I do like the whole crew ducking behind the big rock yes. before Carl turns on the power. That's pretty funny. Like, that would take care of it, yeah. Um, and then he goes, oops, it wasn't grounded. Like, great <laughs> yes. job, famous astrophysicist. <laughs> that was pretty funny. You spent 45 minutes setting up this experiment, and then you didn't make sure all of your wires were plugged into the three holes in the front of your thing. Well, ex- yeah. demolitions is not normally an astrophysics field, is it? <laughs> it's no. true. So explain to me how this works. The ping pong ball is a big round solar panel. So yes. it takes in light, yes, and uh-huh. it produces electricity. Uh-huh. Enough electricity to power the city. We also learned that when it takes in electricity, it converts them into sound waves. Yep. Yes. Which doesn't seem like a very useful feature, but let's set that aside for a moment. Why does the sun causing the electricity to be created also not immediately create sound waves because it's sending all this electricity out shouldn't it just be making noise the entire time it's simple plumbing the the the, the noise is like an overflow for when uh, when there's too much mm. it, uh, it's only so, if so electricity much, is applied from the outside so, so too much would be the amount produced by a 12 volt battery yeah. and not the amount required <laughs> to power a small city the ball is essentially a power converter it converts light to sound uh-huh. No, it converts light to electricity or electricity to sound, not both. It can't do both at the same time? No. Not okay. unless you give some feedback. Yeah. No. Interesting. That's that's um, yeah, that's right. Good job, Monty. <laughs> you get a no prize. <laughs> when he, when he's getting ready to do that thing with the with the electricity when Sorensen is is uh having to plug in the grounding once he got that sorted out, but the uh colonel said to him, uh, you look like a man who's about to set off a bomb. Oh, sorry. Carl does not enjoy that comment very much. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, I I didn't keep track of A-bomb references in this movie, but it's probably, you know, pretty high. I've worked with you for 14 years, Rich. You still haven't learned not to mention bombs around me? (laughs) I thought it was pretty cool, boss. (laughs) First thing we did that worked. Now now that we can't move the ping pong ball and we've done a we've zapped ourselves with sonic radiation or whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, back at the lodge... uh, we, we Carl and his uh, his buddy Rich are working yep. on uh, on science things involving the ping pong ball as 
uh, as uh, Kenny, the kid in the wheelchair, is sitting there listening. And this may be my favorite scene in, in, in the movie because they're like talking about super technical things. And then one of the signs also say, right. And then ki- the kid says, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they do that like two or three times. And then, you know, the kid's going to say something and the scientists are going to say, right. Mm-hmm. And of course, that happens. And it's very pleasing. Like, that's, of course, the kid's going to come up with the answer to the puzzle. Yeah, well, that's why he's there. Well, he comes up with the 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 speed of light. light. I think. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yes. right, which they feed to him, but the, the, it's they sweet, right? They're like they want it's the cute. kid to feel like he's part of this whole thing. It, it's actually a, a moment of seemingly human emotion is displayed <laughs> on the screen, which is the first time that's happened yeah. over the course of its runtime. Yeah. I normally object to child actors, but the kid is the only one that isn't old enough. To be as wooden as everyone else. He's the only one with an excuse. Yeah. He's got yeah. an energy everyone else lacks. And he's a visionary. They're talking about, like, do you want to go to, like, to another uh, star or something like that? And he's like, I, I want to go to the moon, which is, yeah. I think, in, fi- in the, you know, in the zeitgeist, right? Like, we're, we're a year or two away from Kennedy saying we're going to go to the moon. And uh, the kid, that's where the kid wants to go, is the kid wants to go to the moon. And they're like, you well, know. Because it's closer. Sure. He's very pragmatic. Yeah, it's right about up there. It. You can see it. Yeah. Look, it's reasonable. Yeah, no, Ken, Ken is, the, is the, the, the smartest one in the movie, I think. The general, however, has a plan to trap the cosmic man. Uh, why? I don't know, because dogs are barking and people are scared, I guess, and they can't move the ping pong bowls. Well, so. The reason why is because he's destroyed. We Co- haven't mentioned Co-eds this. Coeds are but- being ogled, Jason. We can't have that. <laughs> in addition to ogling coeds and making them put on coats at inappropriate times, <laughs> he's he, he's destroyed millions of dollars worth of resources well, that's, that's and true. research yes. equipment, which we have not discussed. That is what is happening here, and that is the back the background here is that the, in addition to solving some of Rich's problems <laughs> in science, he is honestly <laughs> Ken could have pulled that off he is sabotaging um a bunch of different experiments in a bunch of different places ruining kind of materials uh tainting different uh like elements of stored yeah. from experiments well, and things, things like that, that are, are related to nuclear power yeah. and nuclear you know arms yeah and also he got star billing and if we don't capture him and force him to at least do a speech <laughs> or two we've yes. wasted our money <laughs> now i i do have to ask at this point do you think the shadow man actually is Carradine? Because I'm not convinced. It yeah, could be I any old about no. That. No, no, I don't think Carradine ever appears on screen in this movie at any point. <laughs> I think John Carradine worked out a pretty sweet career between this and the Martian movie we did, where it's, I'm going to sit in a room and read some lines, and if you want to put me on camera, more power to you, pal. But just make sure the check clears. Well, I mean, I was going to say, at least, at least in this movie, he has a lengthy... Uh, monologue but the yes, beauty yes. of it is it's when he's a shadowy figure so he doesn't actually need to be visible uh yep. for reading his dialogue he recorded that while swimming in a jacuzzi uh-huh. of gin. it's worse than that the, it, he turns off the lights in the room that he's in so it's not even the speech is not even coming from a shadowy figure no it's coming from an empty corner of the, the lodge yes as the director just cuts between the empty corner uh-huh. and every member of the cast just kind of staring blankly it's brilliant <laughs> it's brilliant i, I don't know how well, yeah, you get John Carradine, but you can't, and you get him. He'll do a speech for you, but there are only two ways he'll do it. He'll either need to be a floating head, yeah. or not visible. <laughs> it was part of his writer. Yeah, floating head or not visible. Those are my two conditions. Well, and four bottles of whiskey per lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's why he has to go uh, to sleep in the back of the lodge and not be bothered. Is uh, he's got to sleep it off? That explains the enormous coat. It's just lined with bottles and bottles of Jameson. Yeah. Yeah, it's whiskey and there's some yeah. maple syrup in there too, and that's it. Don't ask why. So uh, he's concerned with the philosophy of humanity uh, before it can meet the rest of the universe. He is one yes. of many cosmonauts. Um, he tells us the interesting trivia: aliens have been mining uh, the Earth's oceans for centuries, and we didn't even yeah. notice because we're stupid, stupid humans. Our stupid minds. But it's okay because they're only mining stuff that humans have no possible use. We for. have no possible <laughs> use for like all emotion that. or dialogue or plot. So it's all <laughs> good. Krill. Our, our, our Space philosophy is in line. Your human philosophy is yeah. not. Again, I get the the feeling that visionary screenplay uh, author Arthur C. Pierce um, <laughs> like was watching uh, the day the Earth stood still and said, "Yeah, this movie's okay, but what it needs is more talking. I could do it better. I can, yeah." 
First, scrap the giant robot. No, no, that's Gort. the only thing Gort anybody remembers the about the and, day the Earth stood still. Yeah. And the cool flying saucer. Let's the get f- rid cool of that. Flying saucer. Gort spelled backwards is Trog, by the way. Instead, if what if Gort were a shadow man who just gave speeches? Yeah. So what if instead of the robot, there was John Carradine in a trench coat, <laughs> and instead of the cool flying saucer, a ping pong ball that floats? How about uh, that? Sold. We stick a kid yeah. in there. You Done. had me at John Carradine in a trench coat. Uh, I knew. I knew. Will he also wear a hat and enormous Coke bottle lenses? <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my God! I like the way we you need think. to make this immediately. Let's do it. We'll call it the Cosmic Man. It'll it's be great. perfect. <laughs> anyway, so they they shoot. They like shoot at the Cosmic Man who isn't there because he's not in the corner of the room. And yes. Kathy screams <laughs> and Kathy he's to not scream there. Her head off again. So I, yep. I want to know your plans at one point. It is better you do not know. Yes. I wonder to bet <laughs> that. Says the corner of the lodge. Yes. <laughs> I don't it's really better. have anything going on. Maybe you guys want to go get something to eat? It's better for all. I will be in the back of the lodge in the, in the private room. Come see me when you are ready. <laughs> right. Maybe I'll play a little chess with the crippled boy later. We'll see. And so, again, here is this the credulity again where, where they're like, okay, we're going to destroy him. I'm like, how do you know like that he can be destroyed? Uh, oh, no, it's, it's do you know how he can be destroyed? And, and uh, Sorensen's like, yeah, I think so. What, where did that come from? Like, it's just... The same place he got anti-gravitons yeah, and it's, antimatter. It's just it's just made up. And it doesn't matter what Sorensen wants anyway, because Dr. Steinholtz is here. That's right. And he'll mm-hmm. do whatever the hell the military guys want them to do. He's a sellout. Well, they indicate that Sorensen has already worked out what it is that can destroy the Cosmic Man. Yes. Steinholtz, Steinholtz, who has just been brought in, hasn't worked it out yet. Right, but he's sure that he will. Even though we we are none the wiser about how suddenly we know that, I mean, aside from just trying to shoot at nothing in the corner of the lodge, because like the military guys know that, that somehow Sorensen has figured out what's going on with with the Cosmic Man. And Steinholtz, it's only a matter of time. bastard Steinholtz. You know, he probably doesn't even care that he worked on the atomic bomb. Not like our friend Sorensen, who's (laughs) scarred for life. He wishes he'd done more. Steinholtz puts that at the top of his resume. I worked on the atomic bomb. (laughs) I blew up lots of people. Killed a lot of people. That's the Steinholtz touch. I can take out your cosmic men or what have you. <laughs> when they bombed Hiroshima, I said, you've been Steinholtz. Cosmic men exterminated. He drives up in a van with a plastic cosmic man on top. <laughs> My question is, what about the MX-1? So the thing that uh, Dr. Sorensen takes from his lab and says, oh, yeah, let's bring the MX-1. We could use that. And I didn't know you know, what that was going to be, but it was in some kind of tube Space, you know, carrier. Then it uh, looks like a bazooka of some kind. Right, was my assumption. And, and right at the scene, right before the cosmic man, you know, makes his soliloquy, um, mm-hmm. he says, "Set up the MX one in the living room. We're going to have a surprise party." Yeah, boy, that's good. There's going to be some payoff, <laughs> isn't there? There, right? There's none. No. Right? <laughs> Am I well, right? There's a payoff later okay. of sorts. But All it's right. meaningless and not particularly interesting. Okay. <laughs> In keeping with much of the movie. Meaningless and not particularly interesting, raves Steve Lutz. Yeah, put it on the poster. What's the pay- what is the payoff, Steve? S- spoiler alert, the MX-1 is a telescope, which Carl gives to Ken. Uh, and that's it. Why they felt they had to set that up well in advance, yeah. I have no idea. But the mystery of the MX-1 has been solved. All right, thank point. you. I think they were just so excited to know a couple seats in advance what they were going to need. <laughs> <laughs> okay. When they announced that Carl is a major general in the reserves, that felt to me like somebody's just suddenly realized we need a region for the doctor to be in charge over the colonel's objections. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is really weird, though, because what prompts him to bring out the MX-1 is the knowledge that the colonel and the general are turning up, presumably to discuss how they need to destroy the Cosmic Man. And his his reaction to that is, get the MX-1. We're going to have a surprise party. And you're thinking there's some diehard right. level stuff that's going to go down here shortly. <laughs> and in the end, what it is, is he's going to give a telescope to the kid in the wheelchair. Okay. H- how that relates to the two dudes turning up to discuss the destruction of the Cosmic Man? I have no idea. Or anything else. Yeah. It's really yeah. weird. Like okay. Die Hard in a Canyon? Okay, so, <laughs> yes. so we get another uh, we get another nice scene with Ken, the kid. This time, uh, Kathy hears him talking. Their voice is coming from his, uh, from his room. And the Cosmic Man is there uh, in his coat. And she's like, oh. And again, he, John Carradine gets to give the lines of like, yes, I 
guess you could say I spoke to him earlier. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> we communicated, he said. We communicated. Not the creepiest line in that move in that scene, my friend. <laughs> The boy has given me much pleasure. The mom coming in to see a lodger who she who's mysterious and everybody's wondering about in her son's bedroom, she is far less upset than she probably should be by <laughs> yeah. this entire thing. She's upset with Ken. But but well he says yeah. like I I asked him uh, you know, I, I asked him to stay, I think Ken says, and, and oh, that's right. it's not the cosmic Again, man's fault. I, I've only stayed at an Airbnb once, but this really <laughs> seems like you're, Pushing you're going boundaries, above yeah. and beyond the, yeah. the what, what you're allowed to do. I would like to yeah. put the line after the line Phil said, because I wrote it all down as, the boy has given me much pleasure and a needed diversion from my work. <laughs> oh, boy. And then he leaves by saying, I have already stayed too long. I must leave in the morning. Huh, what a strange man. I think he's the cosmic man, people. No, <gasps> come on. That's ridiculous. No. You think every creepy stranger is the cosmic, the cosmic man? man? I do. He's just eccentric. <laughs> One of these days I'm going to be right. Did the cosmic man wear his collar popped on his parka? I don't think so. Doesn't seem like his style. Anyway, he, he excuses himself and so the mom says, okay, well, good night, Ken, and leaves. And then what happens? The cosmic man opens the door again and says, do not be afraid, my boy. Yeah. And that we, was super creepy. And we cut away. Ken taught him to play chess. That's what he said, right? Yes, right. Like, yeah. 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 It's kind what of sweet. What were they doing before the chess? That was it. They, was just play, they played a was, bunch of games of chess and talked right. about the universe and stuff because he's interested and, in physics. Well, yeah, Ken yeah. notes that he knows a lot of stuff. No, they worked their way up to it. They went straight. They started at Candyland and then <laughs> Stratego. <laughs> That's and then, right. And then uh, Hungry, Hungry Hippos. <laughs> That's a and weird then, order. And then chess. You know, the progression. Right. Can- Candyland, then Stratego, then Hungry Hungry Hippos, then chess. <laughs> Ken says to his mom that they, they, they that he knows a lot of things, although not as much as Dr. Sorensen, famous astrophysicist. Yes. But still, they were chatting about space and whatnot. We have played many of your, I mean, our Earth games. <laughs> <laughs> I have played your rock'em sock'em robots. We learned that the Cosmic Man and his enlightened space philosophy is not above kidnapping a small disabled yep. child to use as a human shield. But you humans are not ready for space travel. Yeah, it does take him down a notch, doesn't it? That he, he kidnaps the, ki- the kids yeah. so that he'll be gi- given safe passage back to his spaceship. Cosmic Man can't go back to jail. He won't go back to jail. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, so so Sorensen's figured it out. Finally, he's cracked it. But he's sequestered at the lodge where the least effectual sergeant of all time is keeping him away from the spaceship yep <laughs> at least for a few minutes and then he drives him there himself uh-huh yeah well, well his, his orders were only don't let him out of my sight that's right they were not keep him here oh i guess that's a good point you know and don't let him do anything it just you're says, not allowed to enter the room Sorensen was here so he it was in the war so he knows the deal he knows how to go through the loopholes and like well then come with us and he's not going to take no for an answer so off they go uh, yeah, you tricked me doctor that's right i shouldn't have matched wits with you we can't go anywhere because i have to keep my eye on you well come along oh man you got me man you've solved my riddle <laughs> ken needs to teach the sergeant who to how to play chess i think 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 more than one move ahead sergeant mm. ken could teach us all a little something so the cosmic man does have uh, ken as a hostage yep. and declares i will leave now and and they're like oh all right. So long, uh, jerks. You cosmic out- man out. <laughs> you and no mistake, us. this is a hostage situation, because the cosmic man does promise that if they don't mess with him, the boy will be unharmed. Yes. So, you know, this is not an innocent misunderstanding here. He's totally got that kid as his shield. At which point they're like, okay... It's fine, Cosmic Man. And so he starts down very slowly for his ping pong ball. Ken is not awake to tell him, no, don't set me down a hundred feet from the spaceship and then slowly walk to it. (laughs) Giving that rat Steinholtz the opportunity to turn the magnetic field back on, you knucklehead. This is where I start to feel like it might actually be John Carradine, because that's (laughs) about how fast John Carradine moves. Yeah, but he could have been closer. Like the way it's staged is super weird, and and it's and it's not even snappy. Like Steinholtz is like, "Come on, I gotta flip the switch. We can kill him." And and the military guys don't do anything. And finally, he's like, yeah. "Do I have to do everything myself?" And the answer is yes, Steinholtz. Steinholtz. Yes, you do. And he flips the switch. And then by the time Sorensen gets there, John Carradine has laid down gently on the ground, and <laughs> Sorensen flips the switch off. Oh, yes. Cosmic Man's going to take a nap. Apparently he's dead. 
I guess. Was he ever alive? It's not clear. Yeah. Only mostly dead. Uh, but Ken gets up and walks. In a twist that nobody saw coming. No. <laughs> he's the, Well, the good news is he can walk. The bad news is he's probably still terminally ill. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just fix that thing in your knees. You still got the virus. I only knew that the boy could not walk. No one told me about his terminal <laughs> illness. <laughs> Cosmic man doesn't know everything. You have a boy that is 6 to 11 months from death. Why don't we know? By the way, your Geiger counter is primitive and you will all die from radiation poisoning <laughs> very soon. Yep. You should not have touched that. But at least you were right about it not mattering whether you were close to the ship or not. That right. much you guys right. have going for you. <laughs> that was one of my favorite lines where he said, like, the, you know, the, well, is it safe? Should we? And he's like, well, it's no less safe from here the, than, than where we feet were. away from here. If you understand radiation, we're, we're either toast or not at this point. We've already been totally poisoned. And the military guys are like, alrighty then. And Sorensen's like, yeah, it's not really that great. Anyway, let's just keep going. We will be growing third arms yep. any day now. It's it's too late. We may be dead already. We might as well go look at the ping pong ball, right? Yeah, that's so, right, right. so with John Carradine laying on the ground apparently dead, uh, but Ken cured the ball in the same shot as earlier, uh, puts out its little beam of light. Uh, John Carradine's uh, body disappears, uh, fades away, leaving only his coat and uh, glasses and hat behind. And uh, Ken, (laughs) watching this happen, says, Goodbye, Cosmic Man! (laughs) (laughs) But don't you cry, because he'll be back again someday, says Carl Sorensen. (laughs) He was dressed like Frosty, you're right. You're thinking it was the hat the whole time. Which is odd, considering that he clearly seems to have died <laughs> that's right or or did he so and again now if you remember think back to the beginning of the movie we had all of those exciting shots of still pictures turning around we had the radar about well, how it, it was exciting, going at they? fast speeds and was all over the planet so get ready folks because now the ping pong ball is going to launch into space at a high rate of speed it's going to be a spectacular mm. finale and no it just fades away and is gone fade out because we ran out of money, apparently. <laughs> oh, well. The ball fades away, and, and you're left thinking, well, surely this can't be. And as you're the thinking end. that thought, the title card comes up. The yes. end. <laughs> we pan up a mountain. We don't even get to the point of looking into space. We stop at the tip of the mountain. Where man's imagination stops. <laughs> <laughs> Mount San Jacinto. The heights of all that man can imagine. <laughs> And this is one of the more perplexing things about this movie is that I feel like they had written down like all of the like plot points they needed to get through, but not what any of them meant. And so when you get to the end, it's like, well, we're going to have him die and it's, we're going to, are we going to learn a lesson from that? No. (laughs) I'm not going to pretend to be the world's, the world's biggest uh, sci-fi fan, but my understanding is that the genre is supposed to expose some greater truth about the world that we live in. And uh, that is not here in the cosmic man. (laughs) I, I imagine the people sitting in the theater, in 1959 watching this movie and getting to the end and being like what like what was it all for why was i here like there's nothing to take away there's nothing to make me think it it just it just uh it just there's nothing and and it's too bad because i actually didn't think this movie was that bad in some ways because like it's trying to do something it's trying to say something but then once it gets into the details of the plot it just doesn't even care. It doesn't, it's not even trying. Well, the, thing, the things that it's trying to say, it comes out and just It says. just says them, yes. People are afraid of scientists, and then the cosmic man says to Dr. Sorensen at one point, you search for truth in a society who fears the truth, yep. but you and others like you are the hope of the world. Ding. Point made. <laughs> <laughs> point for the cosmic man. Booyah! The rest of the movie, that's just frosting. That's just, that's just garnish. Yeah. We really wanted to say that one thing. We aren't really sure how any of this relates to that. No, none. And none of it does. None. Wait, you can't have frosting on a cardboard box. (laughs) (laughs) Well, exactly. It's possible. It's true, but then it's just a cardboard box. And this uh, movie, I think it's 72 minutes. Is that right? It's short. It feels long. It does. Um, Longer (laughs) than that. A lot longer than that. But Mm -hmm. it's also... of of any bad you know so called bad movie i've seen it really sticks to like one level of badness which is like we're not going to actually 
examine anything. And mm-hmm. we're not going to give the characters any depth. And we're, it, it reads like, I don't know, some kind of like, let's write a script about, you know, something like the day that Earth stood still, but we're actually in high school. <laughs> we're writing, <laughs> you know, like that. I mean, actually, not to to denigrate high school students. Um, <laughs> oh, go but, ahead. You know, <laughs> they'd denigrate you if they had the chance. <laughs> they do have the chance. I, I was thinking it's it's almost almost like what if there was like Mad, Mad Libs for screenplay, yeah. where there's like yeah. literally like you've got all the points of a screenplay. Like yes, well, obviously in this science fiction screenplay template that you've received, the monster uh, at the end is killed and uh, his and or or maybe returns to his home planet. You choose, and uh, you can put in dialogue about your themes and work on it. And that the writer of this film just was like, nope, I'm not going to do any of that. And like yeah. right down to the fact that he both dies and returns to his home planet because they just don't care as long as he puts in his kind of dialogue about the military. Yeah. It's clear the only thing that the writer of this film actually cares about is this question of uh, scientists versus sort of the military complex and the guilt of scientists after the versus atomic the world, bomb. Really. And that's mm-hmm. and that's the only stuff that you can actually see that they that they care um, but mm-hmm. it literally is just some lines of dialogue in what is otherwise just a, a template, a, a Mad Lib. So you don't think they were really invested in that scene where Corporal Goofball didn't understand, <laughs> don't let anyone in or out? <laughs> yeah, well, th- that was interesting when he said, like, what do you mean, out? <laughs> I was like, is there somebody here with me? Well, not anymore. He's in the back of my Jeep, you dunderhead. <laughs> It, it actually it is really is kind of a pity that the the writer didn't have much more going on because there are things in this movie that are actually somewhat decent. Like I, I I mentioned, I think the ping pong ball is somewhat striking. Yeah, there are some effects here and there that are actually well done. Um, the acting I think is actually uniformly pretty good. Mm-hmm. The the fellow who played um, uh, Doctor Sorensen, the famous uh, astrophysicist, mm-hmm. he's in a movie <laughs> called uh, Sahara, which is a a not bad uh, Humphrey Bogart war picture set in uh, North Africa. And uh, if you want to see Bruce Bennett, uh, not in a bad movie, go see him in Sahara, which is enjoyable and has okay. things to say. Yeah, There are no parts other than the, the guy with the glasses and the, and the helmet who doesn't pay attention when the golf ball puts out its ray. Yes. Um, that, other than that guy, I'd say everybody, all the actors in this film, are ba- they're basically competent. It's not their fault. It's not their problem. Like, <laughs> they, 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 there's just nothing happens. Like, for a yeah. movie that's got a, a, goes back to what I was saying about how these are earth-shattering events and nobody seems to care. Like, for a movie that is about <laughs> first contact with aliens who tell us that there is a, a larger society out there but warns us that our ways are misguided and that we have to change what we're doing. You and- aren't taking enough hostages for our tastes. <laughs> Why aren't you using children as human shields? <laughs> right. Well, they're going to destroy our atomic power, but improve our solar Our solar motor. and sonic powers, presumably, and anti-gravity. Well, they're also destroying the space program, because there are several times that he that he's just wrecking up our, our space bases, because right. they don't want us to, to be traveling in space until we're ready So for mentally a, a movie with all that going on, nothing is going on that's the that's the conundrum to me of the cosmic man is like if you describe like if if you assigned to a bunch of people in like a screenwriting class like you described basically what the cosmic man is and said now write a screenplay i guarantee you that every one of those screenplays would be more interesting than the cosmic man like i would guarantee it because there's a lot of stuff in this movie that you could do something with and this movie beyond the cute scene with the kid and the scientist does nothing with it yeah Yeah. the only problem with this movie are the direction the screenplay and the editing (laughs) (laughs) everything else is phenomenal Uh here's one thing i really liked in this movie okay uh there is a casual mention of well i can run some figures through univac to save some time yes i'm like oh univac they know but that exists. The Cosmic Man wrecks all of the Univac media, so nobody can do anything with Univac for the next week or whatever it is. Well, Cosmic yeah. Man messes with Univac, man. That's yeah. not cool. It's a Cosmic Man is a hacker. Well, he's a jerk. He also I takes a kid, so. a, a, a paralyzed kid hostage. He yeah, does. But Univac is historically important. A paralyzed kid, dime a dozen. I realize I'm grading on a curve <laughs> here, but 
I I really enjoy John Carradine's performance because it's super weird and it is it is like the definitive like anyone should know that he is an alien and yes. nobody knows he's an alien. It's great. I left my ship uh boat uh vehicle parked over there like and and everybody's like all right seems legit to me and he's well, got the hat it's like oh, it's like it's in this great. island earth no one seems to notice that the aliens all have giant heads <laughs> that's fine do you have a space i could stay in <laughs> that's right that's right chess this chess is an interesting game thank you ken <laughs> It's yeah. just it's just so so weird and it is nice to see the rest I of John Carradine. I haven't played anything this fun in many earth years. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean years. years. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's great. Of the of the three movies that I've seen under rocket surgery, um, this is by far the the least terrible. But I have seen <laughs> wow, super, I have seen the Super Mario Brothers movie. So oh boy, that is kind of the nader. I think the trailer to this movie is really great uh, for those yeah, who haven't seen good. it. Yes, it promises <laughs> a thrilling. Uh, packed with thrills kind of film and it's uh no well what when it's, when it's not when you sent the link steve and i watched it i thought and I, what i said was um if i was told to cut a, an exciting trailer from this movie i would literally have used the exact same moments that the trailer right. does because the trailer uses the only interesting things in the movie like the it's all the horror movie stuff is in there the screaming the shadows the gunfire right. the beam from the little spaceship uh, ball like it, it it make it cannot deliver this film cannot deliver on that trailer but well, it's it a good trailer deliver those scenes also that it, it mentions true. that Carradine is from the fourth galaxy or something which <laughs> is just the fourth galaxy <laughs> it's totally made up has nothing to do with anything say, yeah. oh denizens of the fourth galaxy you shall have the power I think that's what I don't like about the movie is that while it's being made i picture a guy with a stopwatch saying we need two more seconds of this shot and cut all right we have all of the trailer now 20 (laughs) minutes of driving go do what you gotta do (laughs) they said they won't pay me if it's under 72 minutes so it's gonna be 72 minutes and one second yeah you're promised in the trailer basically a classic monster movie from space and uh yeah not so much no this movie was in focus, competently recorded, had at least one cool effect. Yeah. Had people that I've seen in other things. Yeah. Who I've enjoyed in other things. Yeah. Although I will say this this movie, to me, didn't have the same sort of amusement factor as something like Frankenstein versus the Space Monster. Right. Right. There just isn't really much there, honestly. Well, it's because it, it's not crazy. It's well, there's not... not much. There's not much of anything at all. I mean, there's several scenes of people doing things, but nothing particularly interesting. Well, then, I all that is left is for me to thank my panel for being here and watching Arthur C. Pierce's visionary, <laughs> The Cosmic Man. Uh, Philip Michaels, thank you very much. This this boy has brought me much pleasure, Jason. Gene mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, McDonald, I am one of many cosmonauts. Yeah, I I would do a scream, you know, to oh, represent yeah. my gender, but I'm not going to because <laughs> it's a podcast. No, that's 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 fine. Monty Ashley, thank you. I don't need a calculating machine to tell you what his chances are. And Steve Lutz, I I hope uh, goodbye, Cosmic Man. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we were having fun, weren't we? <laughs> oh, and thanks to everybody out there for listening to uh, to our our detailed review of the Cosmic Man. Thank you to all, and we'll see you next time. I have far to travel and must start early. I've already stayed too long. Forgive me if I've inconvenienced you. <laughs>